Welcome to the Valley Church. Our mission is to see changed lives, and we hope this relevant teaching inspires you to take the next step in your journey. Thanks for checking out the podcast and enjoy the message. Well, good morning. My name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. Glad you're with us this morning. My, uh, my wife and I have very different tastes and interests in television. Um, it's probably my fault because I only watch baseball. That's the interest, so that's where it starts and where it stops. And she has, you know, different things on Hulu and Netflix and the other five subscriptions we have, you know, like the rest of you, so don't judge us, um, that she enjoys. So, but we got talking, you know, a couple years ago now and said, you know, we... You know, and maybe some of you can relate, or one of you's in one room watching, one's in another, and we're like, you know, this, we need to, like, spend more time together. And so we just uh, said, well, let's start finding some TV shows that we like, or some type of series. So we, we started down, we watched, like, Big Bang Theory, and we watched House and different ones. But the last one we just finished last week was called Scandal. Uh, we kind of started falling into these political thrillers or whatever, and so scandals, one, you know how it is on Netflix, you watch like West Wing or whatever, and it tells you, you would like this, you know, and so you go through that, and then, and then you try to find ones where people wear their clothes during the whole, whole show, which was rare, um, and then you try to find ones where when the kids walk into the room, they're not hearing, you know, too many words you don't want them to hear, and the whole, well, we finally found one that's not perfect in that sense, but it was pretty close, called Scandal, and it was, you know, essentially... It was uh, politics and cutthroat, and someone was always taking someone else out and trying to move up and all this. It was, it was just tension-packed. In fact, uh, many times, at least in the last like three years of that series, I think it was a seven-year series that we did over probably six months, um, my wife would say, Jess would say, I'm, I'm done with this. <laughs> I'm done with this. It's too stressful. There's too much tension. It's uh, like, why are we not watching something relaxing? Like life is stressful enough. Why did we pick this show to watch? Uh, and so as it did continue, like that last season that we just wrapped up was tension after tension after tension. And the reality is we don't really like tension in our lives, do we? I don't anyhow. I mean, I like life that's kind of like, kind of cut and dry, kind of black and white. You know, like, I don't want extra stress in my life. I don't want extra ambiguity in my life. I don't like extra things that are unclear. I just want kind of a tension-free life. But I got thinking about tension, and I got thinking about God and God's character. And I think when it comes to God's character, we don't really always like the tension that comes with that. And here's what I mean by that. We we want to focus on the attributes of God that make us feel good, that make us feel warm. And so a lot of times we talk about God's love, don't we? You hear God's love, God is love, God is love, God is the author of love. God, and there's nothing wrong with that. Hear me now. I'm not saying God's not love. Of course, God is love. But there is so much more to God. There are so many more attributes to God's character. And if we don't lean into those, if we don't talk about those, if we don't recognize those, we start to put God into our own nice little box. You ever do that? You put God into this box that fits my agenda, that fits what I want to talk about, that fits what I need in my life. And yet we don't look at the holistic of who God is. And one of those things that we definitely don't like to talk too much about is God and his justice, do we? 
that God is a just God. God is a holy God. God is a perfect God. And there are consequences when we disobey him. And that there are things that are an offense against him. And so that's what I'm going to tackle today. Everyone feeling good now? Everyone pumped? Did I create some tension in your lives? I do want to welcome those joining us online. I hope you're going to lean in and let our host know that you're with us too. And lean into this tension. Stay with us. It's easy for you. They got to get up and walk out. You could just shut your laptop. So now that I've created this, let's go ahead and we're going to look in the 16th chapter of Leviticus. Pastor Cindy opened up Leviticus last week. Uh, and so you'll see on the screen there, and if you're online, you'll see that too, that I just put, there's the chapter and there's the verses 1 through 34. And why did I put a page number? One thing I kind of felt prompted to do early this past week was to bring back the Bibles here on site. We had kind of put them in storage a couple years ago and, you know, for obvious different reasons. And, um, and frankly, it's a little easier to clean up between services and all that. And God kind of convicted me and said, uh, didn't you just preach three weeks ago on immersing yourself in God's word? Uh, and, and not that you can't use your phone. In fact, you could use your phone. But under your seats, are, there are Bibles. If you want a Bible, if you're here with us on site, um, if you have the Bible on your row, one thing, or on your phone, go ahead and do that. One thing I am going to do going forward is I'm probably going to have a little less scripture verses on the screen. And so, and this is, this is just full transparency. For many years, I was a high school teacher. I would sat in the same seat that you did. Now, maybe it's because I'm a geek and I'm a learner, but when I found out what the verse was or the passage was that the pastor was going to preach on that day, I would open up my Bible or the Bible provided to me and I would start reading it. So I'm giving you full permission. You can read this whole chapter as I'm talking. We live doing 13 things at the same time all the time anyhow. So uh, you're not going to make me feel bad if you're reading this ahead because I'm not going to unpack. I'm not going to read all 34 verses here. If you're with us online, you could go to your version app um, and our host will tell you how to do that. But I am going to hit a couple key verses here in, in chapter 16. I'm going to start in verses 2 and 3. And it says, the Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark. It's not the ark that Noah built, by the way. Or else he will die because I appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. This is how Aaron is to enter the sanctuary area. And then he tells him, with a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Okay, now everyone ready to apply that into your life? No, right? That's the thing with Leviticus, right? It's confusing. What in the world's going on here? I just want to give you a little bit of, I mean, I'm talking like 60 seconds or so of context here. God one day calls this guy. He calls this guy and he says, I want to work through you to reach a specific nation. That guy's name was Abraham. Abraham called him. He elected him. A lot of times, actually, in the church where we think election has to do with salvation, if you read scripture, it has nothing to do with salvation. It has to do with evangelism. 
That's a free one, okay? And so he calls Abraham. He picks out Abraham. Abraham had to accept the invitation. He did accept the invitation. God says, you got to move, which, by the way, happened all the, almost every single time when God called someone to go reach someone. They had to move. He moves, and he starts reaching this group God tells him to reach called the Israelites. God reveals himself to one group of people through Abraham. Then if you fast forward, I'm doing like a Bible history of Genesis, Exodus in like a minute and a half. Okay? He then, then through a set of circumstances, primarily a famine, they end up going from the land that they were in, Canaan, to another land called Egypt. They're in Egypt. They end up in Egypt for 400 years. Things started out fine, but then they got incredibly horrific. They were put into slavery, into bondage over 400 years. God then raises up or calls or elects another leader. That leader's name is participation from anyone that knows. Moses, okay. He calls Moses. Moses then leads the people out of Egypt. In the process of getting out of Egypt, they make poor decisions. It slows their routes. It slows their time down. But at one point, they finally end up at, at, the, at the foot of this mountain called Mount Sinai. God calls Moses and says, I want you to come up to the mountain. I'm going to meet you. Not, God's, not, God's a spirit, so he didn't see him face to face. But he, I'm going to meet you. I want to reveal some stuff to you. And so God shares with him his heart. He shares with him things that he expects of his people. One of the big things that he shared with Moses at the top of Mount Sinai was the Ten Commandments. God rece or Moses receives those Ten Commandments. He takes them down. He brings them down. They're on tablets. A couple other circumstances happen. But the, end of the, or the, 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 the bottom line is, by the time that we see in Leviticus, and everything that's recorded in Leviticus the people are at the base of Mount Sinai. This is one of the few times the people of Israel were not on the move. Okay? So they're at Sinai. They're at this mountain. Everything that transpires that you read or can read in this book happens there. Okay? Got that? And so what, one thing they do is God says, I'm going to meet you. And I got to meet you in a place. I'm going to meet you in a specific place. And so he builds this, it doesn't build, he kind of erects this tent of meeting. And in the tent of meeting, there was an outer court and inner court. And let's go ahead and show kind of what that looks like. Because then it went from a portable tent of meeting to a permanent tabernacle. And so when you look at this tabernacle here, you can see, if you can read in the back, but you can see there's a gate. It's kind of very simple structure. There's an outer court. There's an inner court. And then there's this covering or where the Ark of the Covenant, that was, or the, the, there's a veil or a curtain that separates the outer from the inner. And then the inner is what they called the holy place or the most, most holy place. That's important because I'm going to be talking about that a lot today. Now, as we read through this text that I said you can read right now, I'm going to hit on some stuff in just a minute. We see that it's a specific day. And God says, on this day, Moses, I want you to atone. And you're going to see that word a lot as you read that. Atone or atonement. I want you to atone for your sin first. And that's where the bull and the ram. He goes, you have to enter into that place and you need to provide a sacrifice for, you, for your sins. Because if you're not right, it's not going to work. And so he would do that. And then there were some other animals and there's specifically two goats. That's going to be a key thing to, to pay attention to as we talk about today. There was two goats that then played a role in the sins or the forgiveness of sins or the sacrifice of sins for the entire community. 
Now, a lot of times this word atonement, if you've ever heard of it before, we always, I've heard it put it this way, people will say it means at one mint, okay, at one mint. Now, that's well-meaning, um, and that makes memorable, I guess, you know, like, okay, I can remember that. I don't use the word atonement. When's the last time you had a conversation with someone and said, yeah, how's the atonement going in your life, right? I mean, we don't say that. But the word actually does not mean that. The word means to cover, and so as you're reading that, I'm not going to share every single thing because I want to really get into some life application with this. But as you're reading that, everywhere you see the word atonement or when an atonement was made, it meant to cover. And so here's how it worked. When an atonement was made, when that animal, when that bull was sacrificed for the sins of Aaron, who was the high priest at this time, who would enter in the most holy, it was sacrificed. And in God's mind, it served as a cover between the sin of the person and a perfect and holy God. A cover. It was an in-between. It was something, because we always sometimes wonder, well, how do sins get all wiped away? How does God always, how does he forget them? He doesn't necessarily forget them. It, they are covered. They are covered when we make atonement for them, when, when we seek forgiveness that I'll talk about in a bit. And so when this atonement was made, when animals were sacrificed, when blood was shed, every single time in Scripture, blood had to be shed for the forgiveness of sin. It created this kind of in-between space between a perfect and holy God and the sin that had been committed, which meant now that person could be in the presence of God. Does that make sense? It's a very unique thing, but it's very important to understand that because of this guy named Jesus that we'll look at shortly. Now, I came across this quote because this is why I told you there's some tension today and some tension with God, and you'll see the quote up on the screen. This is from Millard Erickson, and he said this, what sin is understood to be will strongly influence one's view of what must be done to counter it. We're going to leave that up there for a little bit. What sin is understood to be will strongly influence one's view of what must be done to counter it. Now, here's where I go back to that tension I talked about at the beginning. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you like to talk about sin in your life? <laughs> I didn't even have to tell you not to raise your hand because you're not going to raise your hand, right? We don't want to talk. We don't, how many of us like to acknowledge that we have sinned? How many of us want to face the fact that there's penalty or potential penalty, depends where you stand today with that, for sin? But notice that this quote doesn't say what you believe or what you think or what. It simply says how you and I view sin is going to dictate how we think it has to be dealt with. Does that make sense? How we deal with sin, what we view as sin. Now remember, we don't get to set the definition of sin. Scripture is going to set that. It's going to dictate what has to be done. There's a lot of views, and I don't want to, I'm not going to get into a theological discourse, but there's a lot of views on the atonement. What role did Jesus, why did Jesus die? And one of the common ones, actually one of the most popular ones, one of the ones that's preached probably, even if it's not necessarily put into words, is the idea that Jesus died so that we could get to know God better. Okay. That Jesus died so that we could get to know, because God is love, 
then Jesus showed that God is love by Jesus dying on the cross. Does that, do you track with me on that? Now, there's a problem with that, a serious problem with that. Because it goes back to this thing that we only want to look at God and say that God is love. It's also a serious problem because we then apparently throw out that sin had anything to do with it. You see? How you and I view sin will dictate the response that's required to deal with it. And can we just live in this world where God is only love and there is no justice? About two years ago, uh, my, my daughter, our daughter, Zalome, she's the poor kids. When you're a pastor, they get talked about a lot. It's unfortunate. But she's six now. When she was four, uh, I don't remember what she was upset with me about, but there was something that I had told her to do or whatever that had her pretty upset with me. And she's pretty strong-willed. She's going to be a leader if we all live for that to happen. And she was angry. And so I was in the other room, and I had whatever, and she's very upset. And I walk into the living room. I'll never forget this. We'll laugh about it someday. Um, and she's sitting in, in our big cushion chair. And I said, Zalame, you go do whatever. And she looked at me. She said, Dad, you're a loser. <laughs> no, it gets better, Okay. She said, Dad, you're a loser. She busted out as a four-year-old. She busted out the L with the loser. Okay. So I'm, I'm in shock, honestly. And I'm thinking in my head a few things that pastors probably shouldn't think, uh, and anyone maybe. And I'm like, at first I was like, you know, I taught high school. I coached high school students. Not in a million years would a high school, an 18-year-old, 6'4", 200-pound boy ever in his wildest dreams say that. But yet my little 4-year-old just called me a loser and gave me the L sign. Now, I love my daughter. She's a daddy's girl. I mean, I love her fierce. I would do anything, as any of you parents would, right, for your kid. But even me as a human being, would you acknowledge and say, well, that'd be great parenting, Mark, if you just said, Salome, I love you. You're awesome. After she did that. And just go on and let her, of course not. You'd be like, are you kidding me? We do this all the time when we see kids going crazy. We're like, why does that parent discipline them? Why don't they, right? And, and then it happens to us in public and we realize, you know, okay. No, of course, now I did walk away because I, who knows what in the world would have happened if I would have dealt with that in the moment. I pretty much just said, you're not going to like your life in a few minutes, but daddy's going to be back. Just give him time to come back to earth and let his, the blood start rushing back out of his head. Okay. We can't separate out even as a parent, love and justice love and consequences. Right. In fact, if I was a loving dad, what am I going to do to that sweet little girl? She's going to pay the price. There's going to be some consequences. Whatever your mode of punishment is, you know, there was con she reaped some consequences. I'll put it this way. There's been no else flashed at me since then. There's been no losers, at least out loud. What, say what you want in your head. I don't care. But we, as imperfect parents as imperfect grandparents, as imperfect aunts and uncles, 
We know you can't just be love and not have anything else. But how in the world then do we extrapolate that on to God? Do you see it makes no sense? It fails the logic test that we can only look at God's love and say, well, you can do whatever you want. You can, there, there's no consequences. There's no, you know, God's just love. He's just love. There's books been written. There's pastors written books. There's preach, sermons preached all the time that just say God is love. God is love. And when we stand in front of him someday, he's just going to let us in. He's going to let, every, heaven's going to be everyone's def, uh, destination. I was watching something on, on YouTube the other day. It was some late night show where he does, it was just clips, but he, where, where he does um, like 15 questions with a celebrity. Like, what's your favorite smell? What's your least favorite smell? What's, and, and like the goal is in these 15 minutes or 15 questions, you can get to know the person, which is pretty interesting. Actually, you kind of did. And one of the questions, ironically, that he asked of the, I think it was, uh, Cobalt, maybe, or whatever his name is. I think one of the questions he one of the questions he asked was, "What happens when you die?" Fascinating question. And I probably watched I don't know ten of these or so, and no one said that hell is your destination, other than Shaq, who said Charles Barkley might go to hell. Okay, they're just friends if you understand them. We don't want to grapple with that, do we? We don't like this tension. We would rather just say, well, God is love. Sin is just a flub. It's just a mess up. We even come up with these terms, right? It's just a mistake. It's just, you know, a white lie and all these kind of things. And we minimize how serious it is. What did Erickson say? What sin is understood to be will strongly influence one's view of what must be done to counter it. Now, I want us to look at Hebrews. Now, why Hebrews? You'll see it on the screen. If you want to flip there in your Bibles, go for it. You can't understand the book of Leviticus without reading the book of Hebrews. You can't understand the book of Hebrews without reading the book of Leviticus. There is something to take home this week and apply. If you want the book of Leviticus to make a lot more sense to you, read the book of Hebrews. I read it again this week. Just It's uh, 13 chapters, I believe. You can read it pretty quick. And then take some of the stuff I'm going to talk about already and some of the stuff I add in just a few moments. And you'll see, wow, like Leviticus finally makes a little sense. And you'll be like, I didn't understand Hebrews before, but it makes a little sense. So that's your assignment this week is go read Hebrews. It's not nearly as plowing through as Leviticus, but I guarantee it's going to make some sense of some stuff you didn't before. But I want to look at this passage. That says, this is in Hebrews. It says, now... There have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing office. Priest is the same. Aaron was the high priest. He's talking about the high priest. There's been many high priests since Aaron, but they die. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. You making a little bit more sense of Leviticus right now? Just even a couple verses I read, maybe you've read a little bit more of chapter 16. It's clicking a little bit. Like, okay, I see high priest, the priest here, Aaron, sacrifices that he made, animals had to die. And then Jesus being a priest, but he lives, okay. Such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Who's he talking about here? Jesus, okay. You know, in church, if you say Jesus, it's right half the time, okay. Unlike the other high priests, this is Jesus, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, 
First for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. See the connection here? The high priest always had to offer his sacrifice first for his sin. That was what the bull was for. That's what the rams were for. Then he would make a sacrifice for the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. That's, that's good news. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son, Jesus, who has been made perfect forever. This chapter that we're looking at in Leviticus 16 overlaps so much in Hebrews. But this chapter, and if you're looking in your Bibles, it probably says at the top, it says Day of Atonement, doesn't it? How it breaks out the chapters. The, day, the, the Jewish people still to this day celebrate seven festivals a year, seven different festivals a year. One of the festivals that they celebrate, which was initiated here, is the Day of Atonement. Maybe you've seen it on your calendar, a thing called Yom Kippur. You ever see that in September typically, Yom Kippur? That's the Day of Atonement. I don't know about you. I'm not Jewish, obviously. You're probably not either. I don't know. Growing up as, as in school, I always saw all these holidays on the calendar, and I always just got frustrated because we never got school off. Anyone else? Like, how come I don't get Rosh Hashanah off? How come I don't get Hanukkah? All right. Okay, we do. Kind of Christmas. But Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur this year actually will be in early, early October. And so it's a 10-day period. It starts actually with Rosh Hashanah. That starts on September 25th. And it's a 10-day period that culminates on Yom Kippur, which is a remembrance of the Day of Atonement. Now, why do I share that? Well, fascinatingly enough, it happens six months after the Passover celebration. See, the Passover celebration and almost every other of the seven celebrations that the Jewish people, the festivals that God initiated himself and the Jewish people still celebrate were all fun. They were celebrations. They were exciting. Purim, you know, to celebrate with, with uh, remember uh, God saving the Jewish people with Esther. The one fundamental one that's not is the Day of Atonement in this 10-day period starting with Rosh Hashanah. During this time, it is a time of mourning. It is a time of weeping. It is a time of fasting. It is a time of a lot of reflection and introspection. Why? Because of what it celebrates, what they remember. See, they remember every year when they celebrate the Day of Atonement and the 10-day period with it, that animals, that blood had to be shed for sin. That sin was such a serious deal that all throughout Scripture, and this goes back to that quote I said, what we believe sin is will dictate what has to be done to remedy it. Sin is such a serious issue. I define it as cosmic treason. Cosmic treason against a perfect and holy God. It is such serious business that death always has to be the substitute. Death and blood always have to be shed to make it right, to cover it. Which then, let's go back here as we kind of draw this to a close a little bit. Let's go back to Leviticus 16, and we're going to do chapter, verses 20 to 22. And this all will come together for you. It says this in verse 20, it says, When Aaron had finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, 
He shall bring forward the live goat. So keep this in mind. There's two goats. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the desert in the care of a man appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a solitary place, and the man shall release it in the desert. I hit on earlier that Aaron had to make atonement for his sins. That's where the bull and rams. But if you're reading that, it's, you notice that there were two goats that came into play. Those goats were sacrificed on the day of atonement for the forgiveness of sins of the entire community, for the rebellion of the community. And here's what they would do. Let's picture that behind me is the uh, tent of meeting or the tabernacle. Aaron is standing where I am. They would bring these two goats in front. They would, their, their back would be facing you. Their face would be facing me. They would cast lots, which is kind of a way to determine something back in biblical times. And whatever one, here's how it worked. One goat would be designated to be killed. The other goat would be designated to be saved. And so what Aaron would do is, let's say goat A here is the one designated for death. He would take that. He would take it in to the most holy place. It would be slaughtered. It would be used as an atonement, as a covering for the sin. To, so God could be made right with the people, or they could be made right with God. The other one then was representative of all the sins of the community then being placed on it. Tracking with me? But here's the fascinating thing. It then would be led away with the sins. The sins had been dealt with. Blood had been shed by the one goat. The other goat then carried the sins with it. And they would take it outside the community. They would actually give it to a Gentile, a non-Jew. And that, that, non, that Gentile would lead that goat into the wilderness far, far, far away, never to be seen again. Some of you are seeing where this is going. On a hill called Calvary, Jesus walked up it, and he was crucified, and he was nailed to a cross, and his blood was shed as an atonement. And at the same time, Scripture tells us all our sins were laid on him. The iniquity was laid on him, Isaiah prophesies. And that he bore all our sins. He carried those sins. And he carried those sins when we make atonement, when we ask for forgiveness, when we realize that sin's such a serious deal that we need a savior, that he bears those sins and he carries them for us. And the goat is gone. Church, if you've given your life to Jesus, the goat is gone. Jesus has borne your sins. He's been the substitute for your sin. But those sins, just like on that goat in, in, in Leviticus, and you see it in Hebrews over and over again, the symbolism that Jesus then carried those sins, those sins are gone. He's taken them. We want to pull them back. We want to live. We want to rehash history. And I'm here to tell you today, church, that the goat is gone. The goat has left the building. God knows about the addiction. He knows about the abortion. He knows about the breakup. He knows about the shame. He knows about the guilt. 
God knows about your secret life. God knows about it. And I'm here to tell you today, the goat is gone. It has left the building. It's victorious. You can be victorious in Christ because of the shedding of blood, because of the forgiveness of sin. That goat in Leviticus, the one that was shed, the one that all the sin was given on it and was led into the wilderness, was a forepicture, if you will, of what Jesus was going to do for us. He was going to bear our sin, and he was going to die. There always had to be bloodshed for the forgiveness of sin. But then he was going to carry that away. There's um, a guy by the name of Jim Fix. Um, probably never heard of Jim Fix. Jim Fix uh, wrote a book called The Ultimate Form of Running. Or it was the first book on exercise that was on running. Jim Fix um, was a guy who uh, is well-known, or not well-known, but he, if you Google him, you would see that he is the one who kind of got everyone starting to think about living a fit life. And how running, and so he became a runner. But his story was that he was a guy who was about 80 pounds overweight. He smoked two packs of cigarettes a day. But then he started to say, I want to start changing my lifestyle. So he started running. And he started running some more. And he started getting into it so much, like I said, that he authored this book, one of the best-selling books back, back in the 80s. He was the epitome of health. He was the epitome of fitness. He, again, he was the one on any, any infomercial. He was the one that everyone said, buy this book. He was the guy who, through running, had lost 80 pounds, went off cigarettes, and was just fit as can be. One day in 1982, at the age of 52, he was out for his run in Connecticut like he always was. He had just finished the run when he dropped dead of a massive heart attack at the age of 52. Running the autopsy thereafter, they discovered that he had three blocked arteries, one at 90%, one at 85%, one at 70%. And as they continued with the medical history, they found out that his dad had died of a massive heart attack at the age of 42. And it got me wondering as I read that story, I got thinking, you know, did, did he know his heart? Did he know how bad his heart was? Did he have any idea? Did he have any idea that he was a ticking time bomb, if you will. Was he taking any medication? Was he popping an aspirin a day? Was, was that why he had changed his life? But did he have any idea on the condition of his heart? And I, I don't know. But as I turned that inward, I want to ask us the question, what's the condition of our hearts? What's the condition of your heart? What's the condition of my heart? Because it's so easy to just pretend it's okay. It's so easy just to rationalize. It's so easy to just say, well, everyone goes to heaven. God's, God can't. God's just good. God's just love. How's your heart doing? Have you ever leaned in to what sin is? Have you ever wrestled with that? Have you ever thought about how sin is such a serious deal that all throughout the Old Testament, we see that blood had to be shed? And it then culminated with Jesus Christ going to the cross. Sin is messy. Sin is real. Sin destroys. God had to deal with sin. He couldn't ignore it. He couldn't pretend it didn't exist. He had to deal with it. 
And as we wrap up today, I want to just ask you, have you ever dealt with it? Maybe you've never thought about it in these terms, but you've realized that you've substituted all these other things into your life to fill some type of void, but you still feel empty. Maybe you're here today, maybe you're watching us online, and you're just wrecked by guilt. Ever experienced guilt? It's no fun, is it? Maybe you're here today in the weight of shame. It's just everywhere you go. It just feels like it's there. Things from your past, things from yesterday, maybe today. And you just have this shame. I want to give you good news. God wants to carry that shame. In fact, Hebrews tells us at one place, he said that Jesus shamed the shame of the cross. He shamed the shame. He bore that shame. He not only died so you could be free, but then he carried it, and he's going to carry it away. Scripture tells us that he carries it as far as the east is from the west. Why? Because the goat has left the building. The goat is gone. Do you want that gone today as we wrap up? Do you want that gone? Are you tired Are you just tired of guilt? Are you tired of shame? Are you tired of just having sin carry you down? Would you give it to him? Are you ready? Would you release it to the one who will not only carry it, but he's going to take it away so you don't ever have to carry it again? Would you pray with me? If that's you, if you're here with us today and you're like, yeah, Mark, you're talking to me. There's something from my past that I just can't let go. There's something just in my life all the time that feels like I can't be free. I can't have peace. I can't rest. I just feel worn down all the time. Would you just talk to Jesus right now? Would you let him know, hey, this is what is holding me down. Just tell him what it is. He knows already. Be specific. Don't just talk in generalities. Don't just say, well, you know, this, that. No, Jesus, this issue, this thing, this is what I can't seem to let go. This is what I can't seem to be free of. Acknowledge that. That's confession. That's what the word means. Acknowledge that. And now here's what I want you to do. Would you ask him to cover that with his blood? Atone for that? Would you ask him to cover that with his blood? Would you ask for his healing in your life? And then would you ask him to carry that away? Maybe you just need to tell him, God, I want the goat to be gone. (laughs) I want this gone. I want you who bore the sins of all humanity, including each of ours. God, I want it gone. Take it. 
I believe in your forgiveness. I believe in your healing. I believe in your redemption. And God, I believe that when I ask you to carry it away, you will carry it away and you will bring healing. You will bring hope and you will bring completeness in my life. And we pray that in the name of Jesus this morning. Amen. Amen. It was heavy. It felt heavy. Sin can be. But I pray that today some of you made decisions to release that and to let the healing come in. If you need prayer today, there's going to be some people up here who would love to pray with you. Uh, Would you stand with me? The goat is gone. The goat has left the building. Would you go in his peace? Would you go in his hope? Would you go in his forgiveness? And let's go share that with the world. I pray that you have an incredible week. Be blessed, and we'll see you back here next week. You're dismissed. So as Pastor Mark pointed out, so as Pastor Mark pointed out, we have a sin problem. It's what creates the tension that so often monopolizes our attention, can really ruin our relationships, and drags us further from the Lord. I'm thankful that God made a way through his son to rid us of our sin problem. It starts with you and I accepting forgiveness that Jesus already paid for. Maybe that's you today. You just know that you realize in your spirit after listening this morning that there is a sense of unforgiveness or even bitterness that has rooted itself and created tension in your life or your relationships. You can simply bow your head right now and just say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for what I've done, what I've said, what I've thought. Set me free from these things so that I don't have to live in that tension. I've often found that when I'm, I'm called to the Lord for forgiveness, sometimes he also asks me to go to the people that I have done something to and ask forgiveness from them. That creates its own sense of, sense of tension as well. But I would encourage you today that if there is unforgiveness or bitterness that's creating tension, not just with our Heavenly Father, but with the people that you interact with, I want to champion you today to go and seek out forgiveness. You're not responsible for their response, just for your own obedience. I'm so thankful for that, Lord. So if you need help today, you just want someone to chat with, maybe you want someone to pray with you. I know I mentioned this earlier in the service, but it's worth mentioning again. Our chat hosts are there with you. They've been with you the whole service and they will continue to be with you as we head out of this service. If you need prayer, you want someone to chat with, you can put that right in the comments right now. You can also text 937-358-6565 and you and I can chat with one another. It has been a pleasure worshiping with you as always. Thanks for coming with me here to Michigan to a worship arts camp. I'm so thankful for our E family that we get to gather together wherever we are to learn, to grow, to worship, and to pray. Have a great week, friends. For all the world to find your love, for all 
the world to see that you are God forever be lifted high oh you're the one who holds the universe in every beating heart across the joining us today. To stay up to date with our weekly messages, make sure to subscribe and follow us on social media. You can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or download our app to stay connected with all things the Valley. And if today's message impacted you, share it with a friend, because changed lives change lives.